Now, it's just us here, okay? So do you have a favorite book? Just say it out loud if you can. I mean, just speak up where you are. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Just do you have a favorite book? The Bible? I got growing up in Idaho. Oh, yeah, I know the author well. It is in their great book. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else? A favorite book? I either scared you to death. There you go. Good, good, good. Thank you. Thank you. So, so as we think about this, let's think for a minute about what really constitutes or makes a great book. What is it that is one of those where you just remember and it's one of those that you just uh, can hardly put down for whatever reason? Now, uh, I grew up in Idaho, as you all know, which is, which is a detriment in my life. But I grew up in Idaho, and my grandparents lived basically in the same house until uh, the very end of their lives. And one of the things that they had they had done through the years and actually found in this house when they moved in was up in the attic, there were several boxes of books. And about 10 or 11 years old, I discovered those books. And they were Louis L'Amour, Zane Grain, a lot of Westerns, so, you know, that would make sense. But there were also all these classic books. And uh, began to read those well before I even entered into high school and found... Oh, they're fascinating. Some were hard to read, some were But then I found the book, The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, and it was, it was thick, so it was no small project to begin to read The Count of Monte Cristo. It, it opened up a whole new world to me outside of those hills of Idaho and said, whoa, there's a world out there that does incredible things, and what an incredible story, and and I loved it. It's almost 500 pages long, or at least that version was. And, and I read and was so engrossed in it. And someone had torn out the last page. Thank you. That's how I said, except maybe a little stronger as a junior high-aged person. And, and, and living up in the hills of Idaho, it wasn't easy to find another copy of the Count of Monte Cristo. So I literally had to wait months to see how this ended. And it was exciting to see how it finally ended. And, and now we have the DVD and watched it with grandchildren. They've read it. We've watched it together. It, somehow it's, it's a good book for me. Somehow it opened insight into something that, that grabbed me. Now, someone said that the Bible was a really good book. Is it a really good book? Good. I'm glad somebody up here said yes. It's just us. We can answer. That's okay. That's really good. It, it is a good book. It, it opens up a new world to us. And thankfully, in, in so many ways, the last page of the Bible isn't missing. I am really grateful for that little fact. And that, in fact, it's a really good last page that we have there in Revelation chapter 22. In the next two weeks, we're really going to begin to look at God's Word, in, 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 which we do in services over and over, but particularly to focus on how is God present through this book. It isn't a book to worship, and yet it reveals something that's really important in terms of, of God and a relationship with God. Now, you don't have to answer this aloud, but I'd like for you just think about this. What if 
it was possible to actually hear God speak to you. Would you want that? Okay, good. Some people are not in your heads. Others are like, well, can't imagine that one. Uh, and, and what if it was possible to encounter his presence throughout your life so that it reassured you when you're doubting, it helped avoid some bad decisions, and it even provided some profound insights for life? Would that be a good book? Of course it would be. And would you want that kind of life-changing experience for yourself? You see, followers of Jesus declared God's words were so powerfully packed with life and truth that one could actually encounter God, God's living and loving truth through his words. Now, John was one of the four Gospels, so those of you who turn to a New Testament, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the fourth. And and truthfully, uh, John uh, wasn't probably written until kind of 90 A.D. to 100 A.D. is where they estimate it was written. So it's one of the last of the Gospels, probably. And he introduces us to Jesus. Now, why? In, in a different way than the other three Gospels do. Not, not that the stories conflict. It's just a different focus on one person's life. And, and so what is that? that John wanted to do so desperately? Well, he wanted us to understand this Jesus, who was his friend. You see, John is called the beloved disciple. Uh, John 13, 23, if you want to check that, or 23, if you want to check that out. You see, John, as he grew older, realized that already the church, as it had exploded and had grown, there were people who began to see it more as kind of a, a spiritualized but not real understanding of this Jesus who was so real to John. And so he began to write as the Spirit inspired him to call us back to this Jesus who was very real, who was you could reach out and touch, who you could speak to, who you could embrace, who you could walk with and talk with. So the question is, what if the Bible is more than words on a page? What if that is true? You see, in some ways, as we spend some time with this, I hope that we rediscover the power of God's living words by answering that question. What if the Bible is more than words on a page? Now, the reason John writes this book, as I begin to kind of do in that introduction, is to understand Jesus Christ revealed to us. Uh, he doesn't go back to the Christmas story that Matthew and Luke would, would take on. He, he simply introduces us that this Jesus was somebody that, that he saw, that he watched die, that he visited the tomb after Christ was resurrected and met with him following that resurrection. And he begins to explain Jesus not just as a person, but as something more profound and even transcendent of, of that humanity, and yet very much embracing his humanity. Let's turn to John 1, 1, and it says this. In the beginning was the Word, or Logos, and the Word Logos was with God, and the Word Logos was God. And he was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now I'd like for you to think back to that first century when these words were written. And we all didn't have Bibles that we could bring to church at that point. When they heard this letter from John, they heard it. And so the second time through, you've heard me read it and you've read it yourself. Just listen this time. And imagine yourself in that place. What would this mean when you heard it? In the beginning was the word, Logos. And the word Logos was with God. And the word Logos was God. He was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. Now, John starts this letter with an understanding that Jesus, the Word, was already there and that God had this life-giving intent for his creation, humankind. And the Word Jesus, the Word, which is Jesus, is God's plan to bring life to us. There's a famous theologian and, and student of the Bible whose last name is Robertson. And uh, he says, logos literally means face-to-face. Face-to-face with God. With God. This face-to-face with God is the beginning of a relationship. Logos is an expression of sound, like you're hearing the sound. But, but it isn't just what I'm saying here. There is something about my personality. It's It's different than Pastor Sean's. We enjoy each other, and we have a lot of similarities, but we just say things differently. And there's something revealing about the way I talk versus the way he talks. That's part of the meaning of Logos, is it isn't just God's words, the words he's saying, but it's an introduction to his very personality. We know that he cares about us experiencing life that we just sang about. He desires that for us. He is a life-giving God. And so Logos is an expression of sound, but also of personality. It isn't just some wispy figure out there in the desert, a mirage, if you please, but it is shoulder-to-shoulder, our best friend, face-to-face in so many ways. Now, John really turns the table with what he's saying here because he says in verse 14, the word Logos became human, and lived among us. Now, what John is saying is when Jesus came, because Jesus is Logos, the embodiment of God's truth, he made what might be abstract for some people at that point, very personal and relational, face-to-face in that way. Now, It's important for us to understand in that turning that this is God's revealed truth. Not just the words themselves. Not just a concept of God. 
Not just the thought or understanding, but of the very personality, the word of the Lord. Now, first century readers and listeners of John would have thought of the of Logos and immediately thought, wow, this is the spoken truth and the written truth of God. And John helps us understand that God is actively revealing himself. So in that sense, John is helping us understand there's a shift here. Don't just think of God in that abstract, philosophic way that's way out there. In fact, if we stop and think about how John wrote about God, remember that verse? You might have learned it in Sunday school, a vacation Bible school, or a quiz team you were on. You probably have heard it preached from, uh, on occasion, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that's the King James, and I'm old, and that's how I learned it, okay? But, but the essence is there. God loved and gave in a personal way. And so this morning, one of the things that I would say to you is that John is saying something different here that people have begun to lose the concept and and put it in abstract. And he's saying, no, this is very personal. This is relational. God loves you. Now, Max Lucado is a popular author, and and I enjoy him, and and my wife and I uh, have a book of his that, that we're working with called Before Amen. And in that book, Max Lucado tells a story that I think helped me understand this text as I was sitting with it this week. He was boarding a plane. And as he boarded the plane, he looked up and he saw his friend Joe was the captain of the plane. And the captain was standing out, as they often do in some of the smaller planes, greeting people as they came up the steps and then found their seats. And and so Max stopped and talked with Joe. Joe... um, greeted him, of course, and, and he's a friend, actually a neighbor, not next door, but, but close by. So Max and Joe knew each other well over the years, and Max knew that Joe had been a military pilot and that he had flown missions in really tough situations, darkness being shot at, big storms in clouds where you couldn't see, you had to fly by the seat of your pants, so to speak, and, and, and so... Max felt very relaxed on this one because he knew, he knew Joe and knew that he was a good pilot. But Joe said, as he came on, he said, you know, Max, prepare yourself. This might be a little bit of a bumpy ride. Well, that was an understatement because it was a hugely bumpy ride. And it was one of those where there were sheer drops and you'd drop for hundreds of feet and then you'd bounce. And, and there were, well, Max says it this way, there were people whose false teeth were sh- were chattering and dropping out. That might have been a bit of an exaggeration, but he said there literally were people who were calling out to God and asking for mercy, thinking they weren't going to get through it. But Max wasn't. Max was calm through the whole flight. Why was he calm? Because he knew the pilot. He didn't just know about Joe, that he had passed all the certificates. He knew that Joe was a pilot who'd been there before and understood what needed to be done. That's the difference in being face-to-face with God. It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing God. There's a difference there. 
Perhaps I could illustrate it this way from my days of growing up in Idaho, was that, that I grew up in a family that, that took literally, you're supposed to read the Bible every day, and all children had to read with parents. And so we read through the Bible actually several times as I grew up. And there were good things about that. There were also some, some struggles in that process, okay? But, but I knew a lot about Scripture simply because we had read through it several times. But the truth of the matter is that I didn't have a church like Daybreak that could help inform and transform my faith. And so I knew about God, but I didn't know God. You understand the difference? It was important for me to meet him face to face and realize he had something to say to my life. And that's exactly what John is saying to us. He's turning that table saying, You can meet this Christ face to face. He is the word, the Logos. And and, and one of the ways I found this in in my own mind as I tried to sit with this and think through it, we just celebrated Christmas. Did did you all celebrate Christmas just about a month or so ago? And already they're telling us how many days till the next one. And that worries me. But we just celebrated Christmas. Why is Christmas so important? Well, I understand it's important because... Companies make a lot of money, the economy goes up, all that kind of stuff. But there's a more basic reason that we know, don't we? Christ was born flesh and blood into the human experience. He was a baby in a messy world. A baby is more than a concept. It's more than an abstract out there. The first time I changed diapers, I discovered it was way more than a concept. And that's what John is saying. Jesus is more than just a concept. He's real. He's someone we can meet face to face. He's not far away. And he uses this word logos for Jesus. And it's interchangeable. And, and he is, he's really God's truth in a personal, real way. Jesus is the personification, for those of you who are following the outline, of the written and spoken word of God. It's personalized. It's not just words on a piece of paper. In John's firsthand opinion, because he was a friend with Jesus and traveled with him, he points out that we can encounter God's truth through him. And to seek God's truth would mean to seek Jesus. So it raises some questions, doesn't it? It does for me, anyway. It it says, well... What does this mean for me today? That was, that was written probably almost 2,000 years ago. And, and what do we and how do we seek Jesus today? And how do we find God's truth for us? It does raise a lot of questions. But it's more than words on a page. The Logos in Scripture is actually an encounter with this Jesus. So if I'm looking for truth, Truth impacts my life, and it does change me. I'm stubborn, so it changes me slowly, but it does change me. And if you want to seek truth that allows you to see the world differently and understand God more fully and love people more deeply, the implications of John's statement for our lives to pick up our Bible and seek truth is a relational challenge. For it's in that seeking that we come face to face with God. So Jesus confirmed that our our search for truth 
is indeed found in our search to discover him. And Jesus and his disciples were, were talking about finding this way. And they struggled, frankly, even after three years. They were still struggling to understand, we're willing to follow you, but we don't quite understand what all this means. And being a part of God's forever family, what, what does that mean? We don't know what you're talking about. Is the essence of what they say in John chapter 14. How can we be assured of our standing with God? And Jesus says it this way, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, he wasn't trying to speak some theology that is, is Jesus only. What he was sharing was Jesus, the person of Jesus, the one who's being written about now, is the one who is the way. That's how we know we've met God face to face when we meet him. And so Jesus was doing more than just clarifying a doctrine. He was, he was declaring a truth that's a relational, personal truth. So it's important for us to stop seeing God as this abstract and unattainable um, instead to know him in this personal way. So a couple things. A relationship with God is based in logos, his truth. A relationship with God is based in logos, his truth. So that's the word that you need to put in as you fill the blank. Is the Bible more than words on a page? I think Jesus is saying, test it out. See if it is. How do you discover or even rediscover God's truth? Will you approach it with a desire to see it work in your life? It's not an abstract philosophy. It's a practical, working relationship. It has implications for how we approach Scripture. For instance, if you approach Scripture for just uh, advice that justifies something you already believe, you'll probably find it in some phrase there somewhere, and you can pull that out and say, well, yeah, that just confirms all the things I've said. And we know that uh, there were people who actually used portion of the Scripture to support slavery, which we know the Bible doesn't support. But there were people who used it that way to justify what they believed in. And, and, and so that has been done. And, and also, if you approach Scripture just to see how you can avoid punishment and obtain blessing, well, you'll find something like that in the Scripture. It's there. And if you approach Scripture to search for it, Search it for things that make you feel safer about the future. They are there for sure. But if you want something more than these things, if you want to encounter God and be changed, then stop searching for the what and the how and begin searching for the who. The who. Jesus, the Logos, is waiting to be found. You say, well, then. Explain that to me. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Here, here is maybe one way it can make sense. Some of you have Jeremiah 29.11 up on your walls, and many of you have heard it quoted. It's out there often. Uh, you probably could quote it with me. I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's all good. We like that verse. It's a good verse. 
It's a good one to put up on your wall and be reminded. But have you read the verses following that, Jeremiah 29, 11? There's, there's an if in there. Verse 13. If you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. There is that seeking part, looking for that encounter with Christ that's really important. It's not simply words. It's God's Spirit illuminating those words that literally change our lives. So the truth of God's Word is not simply to be a book um, that is to be read. In fact, the early church didn't have, as I mentioned before, didn't have uh, the printing press copies that we have today. That came centuries later. So they had to listen for that truth and seek for this Jesus that is spoken of and understand it was Logos, Jesus, the living word. And so there could be a vibrant relationship with God and his people. Now, Paul offers something very similar to that in 2 Timothy 3.16. He says all scripture is is God-breathed and is useful, catch this, for teaching, rebuking, that's not a word we use a lot in today's culture, correcting and training in righteousness. Paul is saying that the scripture is is God-breathed, and it's useful for our lives. And if we'll allow it to speak into our lives, we can encounter Christ, and he will transform us and begin that change process. It's literally God-breathed, so it reveals God to us. Paul refers then as truth that's inspired by God and leads us to God. Now, we live in an information age (laughs) So we have Facebook, we have Google, we have lots of opinions, and and certainly we have a new phrase that's been coined, the false news, that, uh, that we hear a lot in today's world. The Bible is an ancient book, but it holds the best answers for the most important questions of life. You see, the truth of it is not embodied in just giving us information but in providing a way to a relationship with God himself. The truth is not embodied in just more information, but in a relationship with God himself. So the scripture isn't just opinions, they're God-inspired wisdom. And, And they're meant to transform us. Sometimes they seem strange, and that's part of the challenge, is what is God trying to say to draw me to himself. It's essential for us to understand. Now I quoted that passage and, and maybe we could revisit it again. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I know you're surprised at this. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, I can tell some of you never knew about that. You're looking around like, what? I never heard that before. The interesting thing is, as you think about the coaches of these two teams, which I won't get into which ones I appreciate and don't appreciate, okay? But, but the truth is, those coaches took people who were very gifted people, but they have taught, they've rebuked some ways that weren't good ways, they've corrected, they've trained, and what was their purpose? It was to transform them into Super Bowl players. There's a sense in which 
The Bible does that at a whole different level, but it's one that we can relate to. When I see those passages that rebuke some things in my life, I realize that God is trying to say out of his own being, Eldon, stop. (laughs) I'll help you, but stop. I need that rebuke. I need that correction. That's really God's involvement through his word. So they are more than words on a page. You're tired of me hearing that, but or saying that, but it's it's true. And they profoundly change our lives. So a question that's probably important for us to sit with is do I know about God or do I know God? If God were the captain of the airplane. Would I be comfortable with those ups and downs in life? Because I know he's been there and he'll get me through. Or am I worried the whole way? Is it possible to actually hear God speak into my life? There are those times where his word has come amazingly alive and have spoken to me, both as a child and as an adult. And what if it was possible, and I believe it is, to encounter his presence throughout my life in ways that reassures me when I encounter those big doubts that I tend to have or help me avoid some bad decisions that I tend to make or even provided some insights that I know those weren't my insights. Would I like those kind of life-changing experiences in I'd like to just pause for a minute. I know those are questions. They may touch you in a different way. I'd like to pause for just a moment and reflect. You have response cards. There may be something about the Bible that that you would like to write down at this point. Or maybe there's something about your life in terms of understanding Christ, realizing that there's a difference maybe between where you are in terms of knowing about him as opposed to knowing him. There could be a lot of things. There are things that I may not have spoken about this morning at all that God is speaking into your life. I'd like for us just to pause and think about these things. Now, in a moment I'm going to pray, but as you write things down, one of the things that, that uh, already has happened in my life, Lent is coming up in a couple of weeks on the 18th. Uh, there's a team at Daybreak that's writing some thoughts based out of Scripture for us to follow through the Lenten season. Those will be provided on the 18th. And uh, I've already taken a tool outside of Daybreak that I've been reading, and it's just been a really helpful process even already. Ginger's family, my wife's family, uh, live in Oregon and Arizona and Pennsylvania. And uh, we all have taken version. I didn't bring my little uh, iPhone up, but I... On iPhone, I have version, so I read the scripture of the day every day. And there's been a 21-day challenge, and we've signed up for it. So, so we're reading scripture in different places, but holding each other accountable. Are we into God's word in these days ahead? And then there's also a seminar that you saw advertised on, in the announcements that, uh, that will be held next week. And uh, Alive to God in the Scripture. This would be an important one, I think, to participate in. I know that I want to participate in it. Um, and, and in so many ways, these are a few choices. But there could be so many more. 
as creative as you are. But to realize that we have the opportunity to experience the living Christ face to face. Face to face. In your scoop uh, this morning is an outline of the Bible from Priscilla Shire, and it has all the books and has maybe an essence of each one of those. Uh, I just encourage you, you know, that may be something that's worth looking at and seeing, wow, there's things there that help me with God. Let's pray together. Lord, as we respond to you, we realize that it isn't, it isn't just about filling out a response card. It's a desire to know you. That's what John must have wept over as he wrote these inspired words that would challenge us centuries later to know you in a personal way. To believe in your son. To allow you to speak into our lives. and That you would bless us with copies that, that we now can take home and use and utilize or even work and listen to over a phone. It's amazing. Thank you. Help us to know you in this process. In your name we pray.